There are moments when we need to give attention to construction, to improvement construction. If you have to take I-555 anywhere these days, you witness construction. If you are on an Arkansas highway for at least four miles anywhere you go, there's construction. If you're in your house and you're walking around, you're thinking construction. Either we are in the middle of a project or we need to soon be involved in a project. You've got a loose tile, you almost slip. You've got paint that needs to be put on these walls. You've got any number of things, little things, most often little things. You pass Lowe's, you pass Home Depot, and it jogs your memory. I got something to do, right? There's always something. I have this feeling that if we were really honest with ourselves as we look at our families, over time, day in, day out, there are certain things we need to give some attention to and to address. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, a, very, a series on home improvement. And I've picked, I know, for some of you, you're like, man, you are showing your age. How many know what TV show this is from? It's one of the great shows of history, right? Anybody know what this guy's name is? Wilson. We've got believers in this church. Wilson. He's on the other side of the fence. You never see his full face when the series is going. And Tim's always getting himself into all, Tim the tool man Taylor, getting himself into some kind of trouble. And Wilson gives him a nugget. Usually Tim has no idea what it really means. But he gives him a nugget. One thing to think about that somehow kind of resolves the issue of the show, right? Well, what we want to do in this series is I just want to be peeking over the fence at your family and give you one thing, one thing. I don't want to give you a bunch of suggestions that overwhelm you. I don't even want to be a comedian and tell you funny insights that you need to address. I want to give you from Scripture one thing that I think would make your relationships better. Next week, we'll talk about marriage. The week after that, parenting and some other things. Today, it's your family, the, the context of your family. One thing. It's got to be practical. It's got to be doable. I can't give you a concept and say, here, love God, right? Or here, uh, be Christ-like. Because that, how do you gauge that? How do you measure that? Well, I, I consulted some counselors I know sent text, made calls, and even some preachers, and I said, give me one thing you think I could say or suggest that would bless families. And they gave me all sorts of good answers, mostly really generic, like forgive each other, you know, and love each other. And that's good. It's just that it's not measurable. It's not concrete. You, you don't know how to, this week, how will I actually do that in some concrete way. Others gave me a suggestion that I knew you would ignore immediately. So if it's going to be totally useless, I don't want to give it. Like, for instance, you know, get social media out of your family. You ain't going to do that. No one's going to do that. So I'm not even going to make the suggestion. I like the idea. I think it would solve a lot of the world's problems, but it's not going to happen. So don't make that suggestion. But in this one, I want to look at families. And I don't mean moms and dads and how they parent the kids necessarily. I mean every family member. There's not that many passages that deal with family life that doesn't specify certain relationships within the family. What, where are those passages that have something to do with and we can apply to our whole families? And here it is. This is it. The one thing for your family. You ready? This is going to sound revolutionary. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
with all your soul and with all your might. There you have it. What do you think? Well, that sounds good, but again, that's so big. That's a sweeping thought. Okay, how do I do that, right? But the thing is, when Moses was giving this straight from God to the people, he didn't leave it with this right here. He said, okay, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And everybody else would go, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's a great thing. But what's that look like? And almost as if he's defining it, the next couple of verses puts it in the context of family. And here it goes. And these words, that I can, these are right next after what I just read to you. Love the Lord God with your heart, mind, and soul. And these are the things I command you today. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you're going to teach them diligently. So first of all, it's in your heart. Before you can ever teach it, before you can ever say it, it's got to be in your heart. Every member, right? So it's in your heart. You will teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. They took this seriously. Jesus wore this, most likely. They had these things dangling from their bodies. They had things dangling on the walls of their house. These are the words of God. They're so important. You need to surround yourself with, we would say marinate like last week, but you surround yourself with these literal words. Now, let's just notice two or three things right off the bat. Every family member is involved in this. You... Put the word of God in your heart. You must think them first. The first priority is that you put those words in your heart. So each one of us is obligated to this. Secondly, it's the context of family where this is applied. It's the home. So once you put it in your heart, then you need to talk about it. You need to actually say them. You need to articulate them within the context of your family. What do you think of when I say when you are lying down and when you get up in the morning and when you're walking from place to place? What, who else do you get up with and see at night as they go to sleep and walk in the way with? This is in the context of family. This is not going to church on top of the hill once or twice a week. This is happening in the context of your family. They, they are the people that you're with when it's nighttime and you lie down and when it's morning time and you rise up. That's the context of family. And then thirdly, this was when they get in the promised land. Keep in mind, Deuteronomy, they're still in the wilderness. And he says, when you get in your house, when you actually have a doorpost, none of them had a doorpost for 40 years. When you have a doorpost, when you have places to, to put this on your wall, this is for when you get in the promised land. I, I'm preparing you for family life, and I'm expecting this to be part of your family life. God's plan, when they get in the promised land, was families to talk about this on a daily basis. Not just gather on Sunday morning, go up the hill and talk about them, but when you get home, and when you, and by the way, if you were updating this, it would sound very interesting too, and we'll get to that in just a minute. And you might be rolling your eyes right now, and you might be thinking, okay, here's what the preacher says. We need to have a family devotional every day in our house or every week. Can I tell you something? I hate, I hate family devotionals. 
Can you believe that? A preacher is telling you, I hate family devotionals. You know why? I remember over the years trying to do this, and I was sporadic at it. There were, there were moments when I got this right, and there were moments when I couldn't make myself do this. You're preparing two sermons for the week, and you're preparing a Bible class or two, and then you throw in the need to prepare a devotional for the family. And I gotta tell you, it takes longer to prepare a 15-minute devotional than it does a 30-minute sermon. And what you're saying is, why don't you stay in the office longer, isn't it? Isn't that what you're saying? Right, it was staying there. No, it, it take, and I would rather drown myself in the baptistry, right, than have to prepare something else, right? And then, and then when I pull the family out, so time for the family devotional, the eyes start rolling. And that's just in Melissa, right? I mean, that, that, that's, I mean nobody wants to stop. They're doing this and they're doing that. And we, don't, we don't want it. But we stop and we come in and have our holy moment, and then we return to our time. And talk about frustrating it, it just, it was not realistic. And that's not what Deuteronomy is. I want you to notice in this passage, these are spiritual conversations that are conducted in the midst of, right there in the actual midst of real life while it was being lived. We don't pause and come have a holy moment and return. No, no, no. You make every moment small holy moments. While life is being lived and a situation comes up, you bring spiritual words to bear on it, and then, and then it just sits there. It's a little two-minute discussion. And you've made this a holy moment, and you've shown that holiness is in daily moments, not in organized religious experiences. And if this were updated, by the way, it would say this. Talk about them while you're driving around. You know, from your door, you can lock all the doors in your car. Best conversations and the time you have your kids captive or your spouse captive is in the car. Melissa and I have the best conversations in the car. So that's where you need to talk about. That's where life is lived, driving around, going from soccer practice to ballet or whatever, and you're watching TV, that needs to be a moment when you can bring the word to bear, and that's gonna, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Scrolling through social media, gaming, playing baseball, bring the word to bear in those moments in a real practical way. So here's a suggestion for your family, very concrete. Love God with all that you have means you intentionally involve God's truth in life in a, at every juncture in a way that is natural and appropriate. It won't be a 30-minute devotional. Leave that to your preacher on Sunday. It's going to be a short conversation in the midst of living your life. And it shows your family that God is interested and God is involved in every moment, not just in the pews. It's like we're living in front of God right now, and then we leave and go home. No, 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 no. It's like you're living before God all the time. Now, some practical suggestions. This does not mean you have to know book, chapter, and verse before you bring it up. If you wait until you are a Bible scholar to have these conversations, your kids will be gone and probably your wife will be dead. Men, don't wait until you are this brilliant scholar and know every book, chapter, and verse. You can bring God's word to bear even if you can't recite exactly where it is. 
bring it up in these conversations. Don't worry about book, chapter, and verse, but it will involve your vocabulary. I believe we need to be making our vocabulary at home be something that becomes familiar when they come to church. When you're there with your kids, even young kids, even though you wouldn't necessarily say the word sin, but here's one of the words you need to say at home. Sin. It's when you do what God would not have you do. And it involves, and it hurts you and others, including the family. When you lie, according to Ephesians, you hurt the family of God, which means it hurts your family. When you lie, you're breaking faith with your family. And you need to say that. When your kids lie, tell them, what is this? This is a sin against God and against the family. And you need to say the word sin so that when I say the word sin at church, your kids relate it to something practical in their lives. And by the way, when you sin before your kids, you say it too. Say the word sin. And if it's lying, say why lying is wrong. Stealing, why is stealing wrong? If you have somehow dishonored your spouse in front of your kids, say it. Say it. Confession. Have your kids and yourself, if you commit this, say clearly and specifically what you did that was wrong. They know you know, and it becomes a teachable moment. Use the word confession. Learn what that means. We say it out loud, and sometimes we have to pay the consequences of it. Say the word repentance. I repent. I need to turn around and not do that anymore. This is not something that's appropriate for me. And when you blow up in anger in the, middle of your fam in the midst of your family, and they all witness it, you say the words too, and you do the action too. This becomes a teachable moment. If you don't follow through on something that you promised, say it, confess it. Grace is another one. You've needed grace all your life, and you need to show your family that you need it, and so do they. These are things we need to be saying. You become this teacher of your kids and, and create a climate of what is holy and righteous by the words you use. A third thing I would say about this is use these teachable moments that life is steadily throwing at you all the time. And, 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 and this is something that you need to be on the lookout for and think about first and then be willing to share, even if it's just you or your spouse, even if it's you as a grandparent with your grandkids. But I can remember some of these. I failed at this more than I succeeded. So I'm not gonna share victories. I'll share kind of learn, lessons learned from my failure. But there was a time, uh, Noah and I were driving along and there was a female jogger, spandex, the whole works, right? And I was, I was gonna use this moment, say, Noah, you in life, you are a visual person. You are a guy. Now, women are too, but men are just really, really visually oriented. And I said, when we go to moments like this, there's an attractive woman jogging on the side of the road. She's doing nothing wrong. And know what? That does something to us guys. And here's what you got to do. You ready? You turn your eyes away from that or use your neck to tilt your head away from that. Now that, you may look at that and say, that's a cheesy moment. You think so? You think it's cheesy? You think that's unimportant? Do you think at 12 he needs to hear that? Because at verse, at, by the time he's 15, this is going to be a big deal? Now let me tell you how impressionable this was. You think, he's, is he paying attention? 
The next time I noticed this, he wasn't watching her, he was watching me. He was watching me to see if I would do what I told him to. And then one time, from the back seat, he said, Dad, you looked at her. And I said, mind your own business, son, turned up the radio, right? He, he began watching me, seeing if I'm going to do this or not. But I'm going to tell you, guys, we live in a culture, and you know it as well as I do, and it's like we sweep this under the rug and we don't talk about this. We are responsible. I don't care what she wears at any time in her life in public. It is the man's responsibility to teach your son how to control himself and look away. And we need to be talking about this with our kids because if I'm not talking about that when he's 11 or 12, when he's with a friend and they look at things online that they shouldn't, he won't talk to me then. I need to open up the conversation and it needs to be more than once. You need to have this conversation over and over again because it permeates our lives. How many times have you watched Frozen? How many, I want to I wanna show of hands, how many have only watched Frozen once? Is that true, only once? Well, you're a single guy, you don't count. Well, you've got a niece, right? I mean, you're a married guy with no kids. What I mean, you got, how, many have you, how many of you more likely have watched it 123 times? Okay, see? You don't watch it once, you, watch, you don't say it once and that's it. We get a conversation going with our kids, bringing God to bear in this. And there are verses, by the way, you can add to that. I did add those verses, but you don't have to. That's one of them. When you have younger kids, talk about the authority of the mom and the dad. Talk about the authority and the respect and honor of mom and dad. Melissa has this theory as a teacher that one of the reasons you can't get respect at, home, at, at school when they come to school is because they don't teach it at home. And then when they do teach it at home, they don't practice it at home. So you're supposed to respect your mom. That should be one of the big rules, right? And guess who should respect mom most? Dad. They need to see dad respecting mom. And if dad's not respecting mom, well, then they're not going to respect mom either. When they go to school, they won't respect the teacher either. So we need to have these conversations when you're on the way to school and you say to them, listen, you respect your mom and dad. But when you go to school and you walk in that school, it's like, it's like your teacher becomes your mom and dad. You honor them too, or your coach, or whoever is over you at the moment. This is something we need to talk about and don't just assume they know what you're talking about and moms and dads listen if your kids are dishonoring you at home correct them then save us from hades later on save the whole culture from hades later on by making them observe to, to observe this dishonoring at home we talk about it, and when there's a bad call at the ballpark, and everyone in the stands is just letting that, co that, that ump have it, it's a teachable moment. And you need to not just tell your kids how to act at that moment, but why they need to act that way. It will take two minutes, and it will buy you hours later on. When you're watching a TV show, and they say a word they shouldn't or take God's name in vain, I'm not telling you you have to turn it off. If there's enough of it, you probably should. But I'm just saying, if, if that happens, this becomes a teachable moment for you. An ability to say why that makes us cringe, why we don't like it. Or you're watching Grey's Anatomy and you suddenly cringe when two women kiss, right, on TV. And everybody goes, oh man, 
man, I can't stand to watch that show. They've been getting in the hallway closet as married to other people for years, y'all. They have been going at it all throughout that hospital as people not married to each other. Why is this all of a sudden worse than that? It's a great conversation. It's a great conversation. Is one sin worse than the other? Are we, are we getting a little bit too accustomed to one and not worry about the other? And when your kids make that observation about that boy who's acting and walking and talking more like a girl than a guy, you've got a chance to have a conversation. And listen, you need to have the little one early so that you can have the major one later. But you've got to earn the right for that voice. And you've got to earn the right for them to come to you by opening up the conversation in a very brief one early. Don't give them more than they can handle, but give them enough. And I want to say to them, like, for instance, there's not a, there's not a list of male traits and female traits as far as personality characteristics. There's nothing like that. All guys have to play football and no guy can act as a, in, a, in, a, in a musical song. There's nothing like that in God's Word, so we can't be like that either. But we pay attention and we talk about this with our kids. Start talking. Take those moments that God gives you. It's like he's throwing them into the line of sight of your family, and it's up to you to help them navigate that spiritually. But you have to think about it first, and then you need to talk about it. This obligates you to really grapple with these words, to really grapple with what God says and make them as relevant as possible. You have to think biblically, and you've got to train yourself to think practically this way. I think about the Dials. They're one of my favorite families, and they do, they do like remodeling stuff. They do house flip stuff, right? It's weird, but they do this. That's their kind of thing. I can see, I can see Clint there, you know, working all that stuff, and Heather works as much as he does. And I can see them, you know, there's this, this proverb that says, unless the Lord builds the house, it will not stand. That's a great proverb, and they have a, they're in a great moment to just throw that out there and talk about And then, and then I've seen him work, and he measures very carefully, and he measures, you know how they say measure twice and cut once? You ever know why they did that? Just work with me for a while, and you will know why that's a rule, right? Measure twice, and what's, what's that standard, and at the standard of measurement? It's a great conversation to have with your family. Just invite them in, and make that time together. Just in the middle of that three hours working, you just throw out one of those things that takes about a minute observation. And you've turned that into a church service of one minute. And you've taught them that God is involved in every moment of life, not just Sunday morning at 10. You don't have to do this excessively. But God says, you know what my love language is? My love language. You know how you love me and how I know you love me with everything? You bring me into every moment of your life. You invite me into every moment of your life. You show how every moment is of concern to me. And you intend to turn every moment over as an honoring of him. Now, there's some benefits to this. You put God smack dab in the middle of your family. And I've been guilty of this in the past. I, I would say you come to church for an hour and then you live a hundred and something other hours outside the presence. of No, no, that's not true. And we need to quit saying that because it's not true. Yes, it is easier to show this. Your kids are stopping their lives, coming in and sitting on a pew, and they never sit on a pew any other time. They sit on a pew at church, and they know that we sing and we talk about God, and then the rest of life is just kind of on their own. No, 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 no. 
All the rest of God is before of life is before God too. When you go play baseball, that's for God too. And when you go to work and you go to school, that's for God too. It's all for him. You're bringing God in. You're inviting him into all of it. And you're saying all of this is you. All of it. It's not as obvious that all of life is before God as it is on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. But you need to make it obvious by bringing God into your discussion. Second, I am not getting on to anybody here, so do not think that I am chastising anyone. But this pandemic experience has highlighted how we have turned over the responsibility of our kids to the church in total. Instead of the church being a supplement, church has become a substitute. And we had several people that were really frustrated that the youth program didn't have a whole lot for our young people during that time, and they floundered a little bit spiritually, and it was frustrating, and it was frustrating. It was frustrating in every facet of life, but can I tell you, the sum total of the spiritual development of our kids is not on a youth program for a church. It is on the home. God puts it in the column of dad, not church. You know, fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The person who trains them and the person who develops them most is mom and dad at home. Don't turn it over to the church to where if we go a long time without being at church, they get nothing at home. That's on you, dads. That's on you. They need to get instruction at home. They need to see us practice the faith at home. If they need to serve the Lord, it shouldn't be by us subcontracting through the church. They need to see us serving at home that's where it happens I didn't expect any amens on that nor did I need one it's the truth so be very careful that you're not handing it over and expecting someone else to take over this role that God squarely puts on you and so it obligates you thirdly here's a third benefit you need to then <laughs> Live it before your kids before you teach them that, right? If you're going to teach them the truths of God at the speed of real life, then it needs to be real. There are some things I'm not even sure we can teach, to be honest with you. Ephesians 5, when it talks about husbands cherishing their wives, I mean, I can, I can give you ideas on this, but the best, the best instruction is for the kids to see mom and dad cherishing each other. You see dad caressing and loving on mom and kissing mom and them on the couch cuddled up together. And they need to be going, <laughs> and they need to be making fun of you when they're little. And that's where they learn cherishing mom and dad. Better than any sermon I could ever preach. So let's do that. I can't really teach headship and I can't even explain mutual submission in marriage. I don't know how to do that. I can try to best I can, but the best thing is a model at home. That is the best place in the world for them to get it. And you see mom and dad, you don't see dad ruling with an iron fist like I'm the head of the house. You see them in conversations, negotiating, thinking through things, and the kids see that and they're like, whatever headship means and whatever mutual submission means, they're talking to each other and they're respecting each other and they're listening to each other. Whatever headship means, it includes that. 
And when they see it, it's more impressionable than any sermon they will ever hear. Make sure they honor mom. And dads, you honor mom too. Talk about it, reinforce that in your behavior. And then when it comes time for others, they can transfer that otherwhere, other places. I, I'm not saying you never have a devotional. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea to gather them together and, and have this prayer where each family member contributes to the prayer, okay? In, in your homes, if, if those kids never hear mama pray, something's wrong. If mamas never hear the kids pray, something's wrong. It needs to go around the room and they, you need to hear what's on their heart, right? And they need to hear what's on mom and dad's heart. They need to hear that. Maybe you do a devotional off YouTube. Bible Project is an amazing thing. And they do something on Proverbs 8 that's just fascinating as they lay out what Proverbs 8 says. But in seven minutes on this video, this beautiful discussion of do you listen to Lady Wisdom as she calls out to you or do you listen to Dame Folly? That's how it's called in the King James Version. And as you and as you listen to that, the decisions you make flow from which one you're listening to. What a great devotional thought. Somebody else does it, you have it in the middle of your family, and you talk about who are we listening to, and do you know whether you're listening to wisdom or folly? These are great discussions you can have with your kids, but as interesting as that is, real life is, and real love of God is, when you talk about his words as you're lying down, as you're walking, as you're driving back and forth, as you're living life, as you're watching TV, as you're doing the things your family, as you do what you do, you bring God in. And God says, that's what I count as loving God with all your heart and your soul and your might. May we as a family, may we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might May we do that, and the way we do that is by incorporating the talk of God in the midst of real life, pointing out God's will so that we know that it's more practical than just Sunday and Wednesday. It is for all our lives. Love the Lord your God, church, families. Love the Lord your God. I, don't th I can't think of any one more concrete thing that would change your family better than that right there. If Jesus is Lord of your life, that's what you'll care about. If he's not the Lord of your life this morning, you have a chance to change that. Change who's in charge. Change who has the say. It becomes God through Christ when you confess Jesus as Lord and are immersed in the waters of baptism. You rise to walk a new life. If you've done that and you've stopped listening to him, you're not even concerned about his word anymore. There's time for some repentance to go on right here within the family of God. Whatever you need to do, do it now and help us be people who are loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.